0: Uh, you may have something like this. Yes, the mug came broken. I did not do this, um, but uh, you all have different mugs probably, and uh, whether they were gifts or you you like them, you might collect them, whatever the case is, but uh, this mug it caught my eye because it fit really well this morning. It says, and it's kind of funny that it actually came broken, uh, but it says, I can do all things through Christ who, and you know the end of it, who strengthens me, and it's a very famous passage of Scripture, Philippians 4.13. And uh, we use Scriptures like that to really try to comfort us, don't we? I mean, in times of difficulty, hang in there. The promise of God is true that, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I've even seen, you know, football players, athletes, you know, paint the number on, or this is kind of like their their verse as a sports uh, player or maybe a sports team, that I mean, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And, and I see that, and it kind of, I'll be honest, it kind of makes me cringe, because here, here's why. If I, I would never drink out of this cup. Not just because it's broken, but it, it would bother me. And here, here's why. This is a little pastor rant for you. So it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I would be drinking this in the morning, but I'm thinking, what if it's been a rough week? And, and I'm sitting here drinking my coffee, getting ready for another day. Well, what if today is going to be a horrible day? That on a coffee mug really doesn't do much to really comfort me, does it? What if as an athlete, you, you have Philippians 4.13 know, painted on you somewhere? What if you lose? I thought I could do all things. I thought I could win because because Jesus promised to give me strength, right? And, And we kind of go to certain verses to give us comfort when they're not intended to give us comfort necessarily. There is a promise there, but we may be taking that promise a little out of context. For example, Paul is the author. He's the one by the Holy Spirit writing these words down to the early church of Philippi. So it's a letter to this early church. And Paul writes this And know that he's writing this in prison. Puts a little bit of different context to it, doesn't it? This is not a morning coffee mug verse, in my opinion. (laughs) When it was written by a man persecuted for his faith and writing it from jail, he writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Whatever translation you may be reading, it's the same point. And so what I want us to walk through is, yes, there is a great promise there, but I also want to make sure that we're not taking it out of context. So if you have your Bible, head over to that passage for me, Philippians 4, 13. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to read it backwards. We're going to start at verse 13, and we're going to actually go back to almost the source and, and bounce around in there to see what is his point when he says, okay, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What is his point? What's the promise we're actually getting? You need to go to verse 11. You need to go a couple of verses before verse 13 to really see that context. Scripture says here, verse eleven. I'm not saying this because I am in need. And remember, where's he writing this? Prison. It says I don't have any need, for I have learned to be. And this is an important word. Learn to be what? Content. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and here it is. Here's that secret. He says, I can do all things. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, that verse, that is a promise that we get from contentment, not of comfort. Those are very different things. I am positive he was not comfor- comfortable while writing this in prison. When we say this verse, I can do all things because he's going to give me strength. That comes from a place of being content and of trust, not a promise that God is going to give me what I want. Not that the end result or the outcome is going to be what I desire, but I've learned the secret to being content, whether well-fed or hungry. In other words, no matter what, I will get through because of the strength of God. Not because of my strength, not because of anything I do. And when that end result, when that outcome is not what I have been praying for or wanting or desired or think it should be, I can do all things. I can get through all things because he's going to give me the strength to do so. I'll still be okay. See, it's a verse that focuses on being content. It's not the end result. It's the fact that he does get us through. He's still Lord and he does. He walks us through. He pulls us through. He carries us through regardless of what our outcome may be. Now, the hard part with that is that's not natural for any of us. We are natural worriers, aren't we? We'll worry about all sorts of things. Now, some of you worry more. You're, I'm sorry, you're better at worrying than others of us. Some of us, we don't really worry about a lot. Now, there are still things we worry about though. Now, me, and my personality, I'm I don't worry hardly about anything. In fact, there's probably a lot I should worry more about. I mean, my wife could tell me, Brian, the roof is caving in. I'm like, ah, it'll be okay. We'll figure it out. I mean, I should worry a little bit more about that. Uh, My wife, on the other hand, and she would tell you this, she's a good worrier. She's not overly worried, but she's got a healthy worry that she'll focus on, which is good. There's this balance, but it's what do we do with it? But our natural tendency usually is to worry. We worry about the unknown. We worry about the uncertain. We worry about all the things that begin to weigh down on us. So if you go back even further, because we have a hard time with being content because we worry. So if you keep going backwards, head over to verse 6. Still in Philippians chapter 4, we've got, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What that really means is it's being content. It doesn't matter what's going on, what situation, what circumstance. God's going to still get me through that's difficult because, again, we naturally worry. So if you go back to verse 6, I want you to see what Paul says here. Here's how he begins this discussion that eventually leads to verse 13. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, that's a that's a tough command right there, isn't it? <laughs> do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, pay attention. It says, don't be, and what was that word? Anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. It doesn't say here, don't be afraid, don't have fear fear. And you got to understand now there are other scriptures that speak to our fear and why we don't need to fear. But here specifically in regards to that verse 13, he says, don't be anxious. Don't worry. And worry and being anxious are very different than being afraid. Being afraid is you have an immediate reaction to an immediate threat. It's right here. If there was a big snake on stage right now, I would be afraid because it's staring right at me, right? Now, the, the other side of that, the anxious, the anxiety, the worry side of that is you have an expected threat that you are worried about. It hasn't happened yet. It's not sitting in front of you, but you're expecting there to be a threat sometime in the future. Here's, here's how to explain this. My, my wife and I were sitting down just a few days ago on the couch, and Connor, our oldest, who's getting ready to turn five, is going to uh, start going to school five days a week. Last year, he went three days a week. Now, he goes to five days a week. Those of you parents of teens, you're like, big deal. And I'm like, I'm a little nervous about this. This is a big deal for him to go from three days a week to five days a week. And we sat on the couch, and we just started talking. Man, we're excited for him, but... A little worried, a little nervous. It's like, and then think, what happens the year after that? Then he's like, in kindergarten, he's going to be riding a bus. And you know what they do on the bus and and everything that happens on a bus. Before you know it, he's not going to be riding a bus because he's going to be driving. Connor, my baby, my firstborn, is going to be having a driver's license. And just imagine all the terrible things that could happen to him while he's driving. Have you seen people driving on 400? We cannot let our son drive anywhere close to here. Let's just hold him back a little bit longer. Let's not let him drive. Maybe till he's 21, then he can drive. Oh, 21, you got to be. He would be graduated by then. At, at some point, he's going to graduate. And this was the conversation I was having with my wife. And all of that took place in about a minute and a half. I got from five days a week, half days, to graduating and going to college and all of the possible threats in between. I went through my, my son, I went through like the, the negative side of my son's potential future in about a minute and a half. And it, That's worry. That's anxiety. And again, anxiety and worry fall into one of two categories. You either worry about it because it's something unknown. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going to happen. When we're facing the unknown, we naturally worry. That's our first response usually is to worry about the unknown. Or it's because we know it, but it's very overwhelming. The unknown says, I can't see it. I I don't see what's happening or I don't see what's coming. I don't see how this is going to work out we worry the overwhelming says i see and i can't do anything about it i see it and i just i can't handle it it's too much it's too heavy i i can't deal with it i can't see it or i can't deal with it i don't know how to deal with it it's either we worry because either of the 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 lack of being able to see into the future the unknown or the fact that it is overwhelming but here paul says do not be what's that word again anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. But this is interesting, though, because he goes on and he actually says there there's a remedy to this. There is a way to begin to, to walk through and to, to trust. Again, he is Lord and say, okay, I can't see the future. I'm walking into this Un, into the unknown or, or it's overwhelming to be. but look at verse seven. let's put verse seven back up there for a second. Beth It says, "In the peace of God and look at what he focuses on here, the peace of God transcends all understanding. So even though I don't know, even though I can't see it, guess what God can And God most certainly does. It says his, his peace transcends all understanding and look, we'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. See, we worry about what we don't know and what we can't protect ourselves from. But what he is saying here in verse 7 is God knows when we don't and God protects when we can't. That allows us to begin to walk down the road of peace instead of worry and anxiety based on verse 7. When I don't know, God knows. When I can't protect and guard and, and deal with it, he steps in and he does. Because his peace transcends all understanding and it will guard our hearts and our minds because of Christ Jesus. When we can't see it, he can. When we don't know, he does. And When we can't deal with it, and we can't handle it, he steps in. He guards our hearts and our minds and protects us. If you've ever flown before, uh, when my wife and family and I, we lived out in California before moving here. All of our family lives in the Midwest, so we traveled quite a bit all by plane. Uh, you think a flight is bad with kids. Imagine three days in a car with kids. That'd be even worse. So we chose to fly periodically when we would come back and visit. And I enjoy flying. It doesn't bother me. Uh, uh, even my son, he would love it. I just, the, the whole deal was, was a fun adventure for our family. And I do mean fun adventure. Yeah you have to tell yourself that, or it's just, you know, you worry, and so anyway, so we'd get on the flight, and and things would go well, and then the pilot would come on over the the PA in the plane, and you know, give us all the stats of how how high we are, and how fast we're going, and oh, look out your window, here's what's down there, and then it it always would happen. I feel like it always happened that later on in the flight, it was about a six-hour flight from California to about Cincinnati, Ohio, and he would come back on the intercom, and he would and it's such a calm voice, right? Which I'm wondering if they teach pilots that. You've never heard a pilot say, all right, everybody, buckle up. I mean, could you imagine what everybody would say? No, they can. And you can barely, barely understand them. Um, yes, everybody, we're going to need you to go ahead and find your seat. And uh, it's going to get a little bit bumpy here up in the clouds. So <clears throat> flight attendants, if you would see service and go ahead and run to your seats and buckle in now. <laughs> And you do, you see that the flight attendants, they do it again so calmly, they put it down. in the <laughs> thing. And they buckle in. And then you're sitting here, clueless of what's really happening. You just see the little seatbelts I go ding, and you're like, should we be worried? And what we don't do at that point is unbuckle, walk over to the cockpit on the cabin door, and knock on the door and say, excuse me, pilot, do you mind if I take over for a little bit? I mean, I know you said it's going to be bumpy and we should really buckle in, but, you know, I, I've seen a couple movies. I, I've got an idea of, of I, actually, you know, you step aside. You go buckling back there. I'll take over from here. No, it'd be ridiculous. We never think of that. Instead, we buckle up because he said to buckle up. And we are making the assumption that he is a pilot. He or she is a pilot, so they know what's best. They know what they're doing. We hope and pray they know what they're doing. And I don't know anything about planes and, and the mechanics of how it works and the physics of how it works, so I am assuming they do. I'm assuming they know what they're, they're flying us into. I'm assuming they know what's best for us. I'm assuming they're going to do everything they can to land us safely. We make a lot of assumptions because of the title, pilot. We, we believe that they, they know what they need to know, and they, they do what they need to do, and they, they have our best interest at heart. They want us to arrive safely. You see, they're the pilot and we're not. We're the passengers in this deal. We've got to trust the pilot instead of just being all worried because it's out of our control. Same things with Jesus. He's the king. We are most certainly not. He knows what we don't know. He protects us when we cannot. But he is the king and we are not. If you are someone who is anxious, and I hope you will write this down for you to to move forward and to begin to overcome anxiety, you've got to get to the place where you say, I can do absolutely nothing about, and then fill in the blank. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're anxious about, whatever's got you all tied up in knots, whatever unknown, uncertainty, or overwhelming circumstance you're walking into or walking through, you need to get to the place to say, I, Brian, can do nothing about my kid's growing up. My kid's going to school. You've got to start plugging things in and say, I could do nothing about that. That's that first step of recognizing he's the king and I'm not. He's the pilot and I'm not. And I have a job to do and it's not to worry. In fact, don't be anxious about anything. But they do give, Paul does give us here, gives the early church something to do. So I'm going to walk you through how to move from worry or how to move away from worry and anxiety towards peace. It's the peace of God that calms our mind, that guards our hearts, and then goes beyond all of our, any of our understanding. So if we want to start to make that that journey away from worry and anxiety and towards peace, Paul tells us exactly what we start with. If you go back in verse six, don't be worried or anxious about anything, but in every situation, look at this: by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So three questions I'm gonna have you ask yourself if you wanna write them down. Here's the questions to ask as you begin to naturally worry. The first one is, have I prayed about it? Have I prayed through it? Paul, right in the same breath, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation, pray about it. And not just pray. I mean, he leans in with prayer, petition, and petition is the over and over, like you're almost pleading by prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. says, let God know what you need. The unknown that you're worried about, the overwhelming circumstance that you are worried about. Present your request to God. Have you prayed through it? Have you prayed about it? Is your first instinct to pray about it or to just worry about it? Because, again, I can't do anything about it. What can I do? I can begin to pray about it. I can begin to pray about it. Earlier this morning, I mentioned in your worship guide, there's the communication card. We talk about it every week. And at the bottom is always a place for prayer requests. I want you to do something with me. I want you to, if you grabbed a worship guide when you came in this morning, I want you to go ahead and just pull it out with me. Pull it out real quick. I'm not going to talk about any announcements or any events or anything. I want you to look at that prayer request spot. Open it up, side of the page, very bottom, it says prayer request. You can do, you're asking for a friend, but here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Not very much, but I'm positive. As soon as I started talking about worry and anxiety, I know things popped in your head. I want you to write down, whether it's a word, a phrase. You don't have to put your name on it. You're welcome to. I want you to just write down, specific or as general as you want, what are you worried about? Because what's going to happen is at the end, I'm going to ask you to turn this into our volunteer basket. And myself, my wife, and our team, we're going to be praying for those worries, those anxieties, those situations for each and every one of you specifically. Don't walk out of here without doing that first part. Let people pray with you. Pray through it yourself. So 30 seconds, I'm going to give you awkward silence to either write or just to stare at me while I wait for you to write. Ready? Go. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? Specific, general, write a word, write a phrase. What are you worried about? You don't have to write a book. God knows what you need. (laughs) What are you worried about? Have you prayed through it? Second part, let me go to the second question for you. Have I thought about the right things? Have I thought about the right things? If you keep reading through, we ended in verse seven. If you keep going, verse eight says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that was a pretty exhaustive list, wasn't it? Think about such things. That's what we think about. We pray through it, we pray about it, and then we have to control our thoughts and our minds. And he tells us what to think about, what's true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy. That's what we think about because we get to this point. Okay, we're praying through it. We're worried about all the things that we can't control. And now where's our mind going to take us? You've heard the phrase, the 800-pound gorilla. 800-pound gorilla refers to maybe it's a business, maybe it's a person. That is just, you can't do anything about it. Right? They seem to make the rules. You can't touch it. You can't do anything with it. It's that 800 pound gorilla. And that's our perception. That's how we view certain individuals or organizations in our mind. What's interesting fun little natural geographic fact for you the average weight of a gorilla is 400 pounds. <laughs> so, what, what that phrase is, is saying here is in our mind, we exaggerate things. And sure, I'm not not trying to minimize your problems and your issues and the struggles and the unknowns and overwhelming circumstances you're walking through. I'm just saying it may be big, but it's bigger in your mind. It may be huge, it's still bigger in your mind. If we don't control our thoughts, it will allow us to spin out of control. Our feet follow our thoughts. If we think about the things that could happen, and the what ifs, or I can't You think about all of that, guess where our feet's going to go, guess where we begin to walk towards. But what Paul is telling the early church and us is saying, no, no, think about what's right and noble and admirable, praiseworthy, excellent. You think about those things, you think of the things of God, oh, that's a totally different journey. Totally different journey. Get control of those thoughts. Don't let it get to 800 pounds, regardless of what it is you got to control your thoughts. So have you prayed about it? Have you prayed through it? Have you been thinking about the right things? Have you been thinking about the things of God as you walk through it? Third question, have I acted the right way? Have I acted the right way? Now, acted specifically, we're going to get out of verse 9. Here's what verse 9 says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into, and what's this word? If you've got your Bibles. We'll get it up on the screen for you. Put into practice. Put into practice. And the peace of God will be with you. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into, say it with me again. Practice. Put it into practice. So have you prayed about it? Have you prayed through it? Whatever's the uncertainty, whatever's overwhelming. Have you prayed about it? Prayed through it? Have you gained control of your thoughts? Have you been thinking about the things of God or are you allowing your thoughts to then pull you back into the things of worry and the things of anxiety? And lastly, have you acted in a right way? Are you putting the right things into practice? Are you putting the right things into practice? When I was a, a, a newly college graduate, uh, my parents were thrilled about this. I, uh, Instead of going to get a ministry job, which you know I had been playing for, I uh, decided to work at a golf course because I loved to golf and I couldn't afford to play golf. So what do you do if you're just out of college and want to play golf and you have no money? You go work at a golf course at the maintenance and you work from six to one in the maintenance crew and then you golf for, for free for the rest of the day. It was wonderful until you realize they don't really pay that much. And uh, so it was in that season of my life where I'm working at the golf course and uh, you can imagine if it's a rainy day, the maintenance crew really doesn't have much that they can do outside on the golf course. Things kind of shut down. So what does a recent college grad working at a golf course do when he's by himself in a, basically a shed with a bunch of golf carts and golf balls? You learn to juggle because you have nothing better to do. And I remember sitting there, I was like, well, might as well learn to do something. So I, I picked up some golf balls and, and I, I tried and, and I emphasized the word, or that word tried because you can imagine if you've ever even tried to juggle the first time you do it is, it's a disaster, right? Especially doing it with golf balls. I mean, there's a risk factor attached to that. <laughs> and, and so I had another choice, didn't I? I could say, well, that didn't work out well. I'm done. Or I could say, I still have at least four more hours of this. I might as well keep trying. And all of a sudden, it's moved away from I'm going to try something to now I'm going to practice at it. And if you practice at something, no, practice doesn't make perfect, but practice does help you grow in your consistency. So can I show you over 10 years later what has come of this newfound talent and gift? Are you ready? All right, I'm going to need some circus music. Here we go. Look at that. Look at that. Pretty good, huh? Oh, 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 oh. I don't know where the stage is at. (laughs) Not bad, right? Why, thank you. I promise it didn't look like that the first time I did it, and it's probably never going to get any better because I don't practice juggling anymore. I don't even think my wife knew I could do that. Impressive, huh, babe? Here's what I'm hoping you take away from it. What I want you to think through is we get to this point, we pray through it, we're thinking about the right things. Well, I'm still worrying about it, so I might as well give up. No, what Paul's saying is like, no, you've got to practice at this. You've got to keep working at this. It's not a one and done. No, we practice at the things that we're not good at. We're practicing. That's the point of practice. You practice at the things you can't do so you can eventually be better at it. And that's what you have to do after you practice and you become better at it. What do you have to do? Keep practicing. Because I used to be a lot better at that, and I hadn't done it for 10 years until I got the idea to share that with you two days ago. So like, I should probably try this a couple more times and start practicing again. Now we begin to lose it again if we don't practice. It's a constant every day, every moment, every situation. We're putting this into practice where we pray about it. We think of the things of God, and guess what? We keep acting that way. And I'm telling you, it takes practice to not worry. We We are great at worrying on our own. We don't need any practice to worry whatsoever. That comes natural. If you want to have the peace of God, it takes practice to pray about it as scripture tells us to think about the things of God and then here Paul tells us put it into practice what's interesting is the very next verse or the very next line of that verse still the same verse he says whatever you've learned seen in me heard from me put it into practice and then the god of peace will give you or the god of peace will be with you notice it happens after we do that God, yes, is with us, but the peace we get happens after we continue to put these things in place, and we walk through them, and we continue to practice, and we continue to practice. The unknowns and the overwhelming aspects of life are going to happen. We act as if it's a surprise, if it's a shock. We didn't see that coming, and sure, we can't plan for everything in life, but we can, without a doubt, say, there's going to be plenty of uncertainty in my life. I'm going to walk through plenty of unknowns. And yes, there's going to be plenty in life that is going to be overwhelming. If we can wrap our minds around that and say, okay, I, I get that. And I'm not going to be surprised and I'm not going to be shocked when it happens. Instead of worry, I'm going to lean on the promise of God. Instead of worry, I'm going to trust God because he's the king and I'm not. And I'm going to say I can do absolutely nothing about it except pray about it. Think about the things of God and continue to put in the practice that process. Continue to lean on the peace of God. Started with a what I would call a coffee mug scripture (laughs) that really doesn't feel like it does any good when taken out of context. Let me read another one for you. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Have you heard Jeremiah twenty nine eleven before? Absolutely. We love that for like when students graduate and when we take on new chapters of our life. 29, 11 out Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Now that sounds great, but here's what I need you to pay attention to. It says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Not for you know the plans I have for you. No, God says, I know the plans I have for you. You don't. Understand, we don't know his plans for us, and we've got to trust, as Scripture tells us, that it's plans to prosper us, plans to help us, not harm us, not hinder us or hurt us. But no, we don't know those plans. He's the king, and we are not. And the promise we are given throughout Scripture, and especially out of Philippians chapter 4, the promise is not to have the outcome we desire. The promise we get is the promise of peace. We do all those things. We pray through it. We think of the things of God. We continue to put it into practice. And it says, "And then the God of peace will be with you. And then we get the peace of God. Then we have the peace that transcends all understanding. And then our hearts will be guarded and our minds will be guarded because of that. Because of the peace. The peace is the promise. The peace of God is the promise, not a specific outcome. Do you understand the difference? There? That is important. Because we get all bent out of shape when it doesn't go our way. He's the king and I am not. It's not our plans. It's his plans. It's I know the plans I have for you. He knows the plans he has for us. We cannot worry and we cannot get upset when it doesn't go our way. What we can do is we can trust in him and we can believe in him and we can have faith in him and know that he's going to be with us the entire ride through. He is the king and I am not. Once you to begin to get that phrase in your head. It's a phrase I had an old friend of mine, a mentor of mine tell me years and years and years ago. And that's become something that just goes through my head. Why don't you say it with me? Say, he's the king and I am not. He's the king and I am not. Keep going, he's the king and I am not. He's the king and I am not, he's the king. And I am not. Is it sinking in? Say it again. He's the king. And I am not. One more time. He's the king. And I am not. When you begin to believe that with all of your heart, you don't worry anymore. Because I trust the king. I believe in him with all my heart. I worry when I put myself in the throne. So there's a lot I don't know, and there's a lot I can't do. As long as we keep Jesus as king, he knows, and he can, because he's the king, and I am most certainly not. Jesus, thank you for being the king. You are Lord. You are worthy. And there is lots to be afraid of and worried about and anxious about in this world. There's a lot of situations and circumstances that are completely outside of our control. But right here and right now, God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, begin to lead us down the path of peace. And the path of peace does not end with us getting our way. It ends with you being glorified. So right here and right now, we declare that you are the king and that we are most certainly not and that you are worthy. Lead us to your peace instead of worry. In Jesus' name.